Mutual presents Arch Obler's Plays. The Mutual Broadcasting System has the pleasure of presenting the tenth broadcast of a special 26-week series of plays by radio playwright Arch Obler. In this series, we hope to bring you dramas full of the excitement and meaning of plays told in relation to the expanding world in which we live. Our drama this evening, through the cooperation of Lester Cowan Productions, stars Mr. Burgess Meredith in Mr. Pyle. The play will be introduced by Arch Obler. Ernie Pyle was a thin little man with a balding head and a shy grin. Hardly the dashing, glamour-filled war correspondent of fiction. And yet he became the most popular war correspondent of our time and the buddy of every soldier from the generals down the line in the very unglamorous business that is war. I've written a factual play about Ernie Pyle because to many who had to stay on this side of the oceans, he was their eyes and their heart. About there, Mr. Pyle? That's good. Gee, we sure made this road in a hurry. About six hours. Great boy. Yeah. I think this is about as far as the jungle we should go. Whatever you say. Uh, I think I better let the engine cool off a little. Yeah. Um, Mr. Pyle? Yes, Lieutenant. <laughs> Back home, I used to be the fellow who went around with his foot in his mouth. Can I ask you something that's none of my business? What's on your mind? Well, why are you here, Mr. Pyle? Me, I'm just cannon fodder, but you, you're old man of 44. <laughs> exactly old, but old enough to stay away from this dirty Jap hellhole. Africa, Sicily, Normandy, you've been through it all. Why don't you stay home once you got back there? I, I just couldn't. Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah, sure. Uh, did you know Captain Bessman was operated on last night? Yes, I know. It's the craziest thing. All night long, the morphine didn't put him out. He kept talking. He seemed to think he was on a troop transport on his way to Pearl Harbor from San Francisco. That's all he talked about. As if that was all that had ever happened to him, going from Frisco to Pearl Harbor. Can you beat that? He's in every campaign from Guad to Okinawa, and then he gets hurt, and all he talks about is the first ship he is on. Goofy, isn't he? Mm, no, Lieutenant. Huh? When you've been through a great deal, it all gets covered up with a confusion of many things. The torpedoes that didn't hit you, the dive bombers that missed you, the shells that almost had your number. It seems your mind can't take it anymore. You're, you're like a man who's lived a full life, and then an old age, remembers clearly only the days of his childhood. It's the way it is sometimes in war. Sometimes remember only when you were young in the war. The first things that uh, happened to you. Is, is that the way it was with you? That's the way. Will you tell me, Mr. Pyle? Mm, tell you why. What you remember? Why? So I can tell my kids when I get some that... You told me? Well, 
I remember the convoy as I remember faces. Thousands of them crowded together on the boat. The faces of American boys going. They didn't know where to fight and perhaps to die. A long way from home. Thousands of American faces. But as we went southward, out of those many faces came single faces. The individual boys from Akron, to Decatur, to Nashville, to Carmel, Slocum Hollow, Woodstock, Spokane, Troy, San Francisco, who in the last analysis fight the wars, win them for us. That's what I remember. As long as I live, I'll remember every face and every name. Private Max Rosen. At night, as the escort ships of the Royal Navy herded us safely through the soft, dangerous night, little Private Max Rosen used to stand by the rail with me, hour after hour, looking out over that armada of marching ships. Hello, Mr. Cal. That's an awful lot of water. Yes, it is. Is it true we're on our way to Casablanca? I couldn't say. Oh. Military security, huh? Yeah, maybe that's it. Casablanca. Eddie, I love you. Eddie, I want... I want to run barefoot through your hair. <laughs> hey, you know, Mr. Pye, you ought to put me in your column. Why is that, Max? I think I'm the only fellow that ever came from the Bronx and never saw the ocean. That is, until they shipped me over. Never saw it? It's a fact. My mom strictly didn't believe in Coney Island, and since the ocean to her was Coney Island, I never got to see the ocean. You've seen enough of it now. Yes, sir. Sure is a big world, isn't it, Mr. Pyle? At last, I'm getting to see some of it. And Mama can't stop me. I remember Sergeant Matt Miller of Highland Park, Illinois. It was the last couple of nights before we made that North African port. We, we're going through the most dangerous waters now, aren't we, Mr. Pyle? Why do you say that, Matt? Oh, making us wear our life preservers all the time. Not letting us take any clothes off to sleep. Well, that's just a precaution, isn't it? Mr. Pyle, you... You know a lot, don't you? That's <laughs> open to a great deal of question. I mean... You've been so many places, done so many things. Most of us are just out of school. What I'm trying to say is, could I ask you a personal question? Go ahead. Well, after all your experience and everything, right now, are you scared? I am. Thank you. Thank you very much. Lieutenant Kenny of Baltimore. I remember his name and his face. Yes, I remember after we were in Oran and everything was settled down to some extent, Lieutenant Kenny found his old broken-down motorbike here yeah, and he began to, began to make excursions around the country. And one day, out there in the desert, he passed a monstrous-looking lizard lying right there in the pavement. It was about a foot and a half long, a horrible thing, evil-looking enough to be a member of the Nazi party. Well, 
Kenny poked at it with his shoe, but it didn't attack him. And when he put down his hand, you see this thing crawled up on his arm and over his shoulder, and it sat down on the top of his cap. So with that horrible lizard sitting on the top of his head, Kenny rode back to camp. Lieutenant, the captain's been looking for you. He said as soon as you got back, you should go. Oh! Is there something wrong, Sergeant? The top. Sitting on your head. It's sitting. I think. And it's not. Speak clearly, Sergeant. What's on your mind? Your head. Say, teeth. I think. Gal, don't move. God! Help! I remember Johnny Ebert of St. Petersburg, Florida, 23-year-old staff sergeant mechanic. And the sergeant was waiting at the edge of a runway while the flying fortresses came in from a bombing mission over Tripoli. Now, ten had gone out, nine had come back, and the missing fort was Johnny's ship. And the ten men were Johnny's friends, were in it. The official report was that, that they'd been shot down, but Johnny, he, he kept standing there, and suddenly there was a red flare in the sky, and Johnny's fort was coming in. Two engines dead, the wings no higher in the treetops, but coming in and standing there, Johnny was bringing it in. Baby, make it, make it. Just a little higher, a little higher. Lift, lift. You will get over. You will get over. Just try. Okay. Now, easy setting down. Easy. Not too much on the right wheel. Not too much. Okay. Now the brakes. The brakes. Slow up, baby. Slow up. Keep away from the hangers. Slow up. Turn. Turn. Come on. Turn. We made it. We made it. We made it. We made it. I remember the faces of so many of them. Kids, you know, just kids in the green army in the air and on the ground. Against an enemy, it was more experienced, more easily supplied. But an enemy, when the going got tough, that didn't have that American brand of humor to sustain them. Mr. Powell, I wonder, could you help me out? Sure, I know it's raining out, but this is important. It's about this here book. You know, the one they gave us before we got here to ask. Sixteen pages and mighty neat. Supposed to give a man a liberal education on Africa. But all it does to me, Mr. Pyle, is to confuse me. Now you take this here page, quote. Little rainfall is experienced along the coast. Mr. Pyle, some Californian must have written that. Because I asked you, man, the man, is this here rain falling all over us now, or is it like it says here on page six, quote, an African Niroz, unquote? 
Now, on this page, it says when in the presence of a Muslim, it's very important always to eat with your right hand. And this is how I'm a southpaw. They won't be the style to death. And look at this page. It says, talk Arabic to the people. No matter how badly you do it, they like it. Mr. Powell, that's a downright Yankee lie. Mr. Powell, do you know what a man has to say in Arabic just to say goodnight? Listen. Leil tak sida a tam sik It's just goodnight. And then this book says that some Arabic sounds are impossible for Americans to learn. It says that K-H-N is the sound made when clearing the throat, and that G-H-N is a deep, gurgling noise. Well, I've been studying this Arabic now for three days, and listen to what I got. Achoo! <laughs> That, Mr. Pyle, means I love you, baby. Meet me in front of Walgreens right after supper and leave your veil at home. I remember Major Quint Quick as a bomber squadron leader from Bellingham, Washington. He was looking over a six-week-old copy of an American uh, picture magazine, the latest reaches. And this uh, magazine was full of photos and stories of the drama of war. You know something, Ernie? I look at this magazine from back home, and war seems romantic and exciting, full of heroics. I don't think it is at all. I think war is men suffering, wishing they were somewhere else. Men in little routine jobs just behind the lines, belly aching because they can't get to the front. No women to be heroes in front of. Blasted little wine to drink, very little singing and fun. Cold and dirty, working from day to day in a world full of insecurity and discomfort, homesickness, and danger. I think this war will be romantic to me only twice. Once when I see the Statue of Liberty again. And again on my first day back in my hometown with my folks. I remember Private Ned Harris giving a lecture to a grinning group of his buddies was on the miracle of the sulfonilamide tablets each soldier carried in the battle. Quiet, fellas, quiet. Now, gentlemen, don't get the idea that these smuffalooly, uh, I mean these smuffalooly, uh, I mean these smuffalooly, uh, these tablets are only good for wounds sustained in battle. Gentlemen, nothing could be further from the truth but a small sum of 25 cents, the whole pound of a dollar. I will personally give you a secret formula given me by a cigar store Indian, which mixed with your personal self for tablet and rubbed well into your scalp, is positively guaranteed to make your head as smooth as a billiard ball, kill the hair down to the roots and save you the cost of haircuts for the rest of your life. Leaving you a net profit of $4,832, for which will somebody please loan me two bits so I can go over to PX and get myself a beer. I remember. 
remember, the faces of our men were overrun before we knew what was happening. We were all on our own. Too many of them fought us. Came too fast. We were dive bombed all the way back. All the way back. You see, it was this way, Mr. Pyle. I looked up and there was a Mark IV tank just a hundred yards away. The turret door was open and the German was standing there looking at me, cold as ice. I swung the jeep around and there was another Mark IV. Everywhere I turned there were German tanks. It was crazy. As if the whole world was suddenly filled with German tanks. Nothing but German tanks. Was this way, Mr. Pyle? Everything was so new and strange. When we walked, we kept falling into holes and into the gullies and the creeks. All the time, it was as if we were blindfolded. Night was so dark. All around us were mines. Every step of mine. That was the worst, Mr. Pyle. The mines. Retreating was over and the final advance began. I remember the face of a soldier by the campfire. All the moonlight's there tonight along the wall. Singing a song to me was because someone had told him that I was a Hoosier like he was. I remember a foxhole in the hills of Mature and a face of Private Stacy Adams, who's formerly of Park Avenue, New York. I'd like to give you my theory about personal hygiene, or to be more specific, baths. Mr. Pryor, for 21 years, I made it a solemn ritual to take a bath or a shower every single day. Yes, sir? With soap and water. And may I whisper, bubble bath. I massage my skin daily and twice on warm days in the youthful delusion that therein lay the secret of good health. Mr. Pyle, I was wrong. I have been here in North Africa, man and boy, for six months now. And I am now the healthiest man and boy I have ever been. Why? I will tell you. Mr. Pyle, I now take a bath every two months. Yes, sir? Every two months. And I'm thinking seriously of making it once every three months. I, Mr. Pyle, am an emancipated man. I don't bathe. I don't shave. And I go weeks without taking my socks off. And that's the way it is with all my buddies in our tent. Uh, by the way, Mr. Pyle, when you go to Oran, would you mind seeing if you could buy me a large bottle of perfume? Cheap. Faces of a rest camp. After four days and four nights of continuous fighting up a ridge inhabited by snakes and lizards, scorpions, centipedes, and Nazis, the command had come for the division to take a two days rest. Just think, I mean, two whole days. Two whole days of flying in the sun and eating hot chow. Mr. and Mrs. Living. Isn't that sunshine something? 
We've been fighting so much in the dark, I was beginning to think that sunlight was only a rumor, like the war was going to be over like Christmas. Yes, sir. This is living. Two whole days. You know, sometimes after one of those spookers gets through dive bombing or an 88 just misses me, sometimes I just lie there taking deep breaths. Enjoy myself. Just breathe. Can you beat that, Mr. Pyle? I enjoy just breathing. And now I got two whole days. Uh, did you ever see a bluer sky than this back in New Mexico, Ernie? Oh, I'm going to lie here flat on my back for the rest of these 45 hours and just look up at that sky. Ernie, what do you think of my division? Good team, eh? They know their job and they're doing it well. I only hope I'll be there to command them when we move over to the continent. Ernie, uh, you may be moving on, so I'd like to say something to you now because, uh, well, maybe you'll think about it and write about it. You've written so much about the ordinary foot soldier in this war. And what I'm going to say now is all for the G.I. Joe who carries the load. Ernie, uh, this infantry division of mine, their skill and their devotion to duty and their willingness to sacrifice personally for the sake of the rest, is all that going to pieces once it's over? Oh, I'm not talking about international cooperation or anything as large as that. I'm talking about these men and their personal relations to each other. Are they going to be forced back into a social and economic life that considers personal sacrifice and cooperation necessary only for war or, or football? Aren't they going to get a chance to practice a few of those virtues in their business life, in their relations to government? Is war always going to be the only unifying force for the best in our men? Is this... Yes, sir. Huh? Oh, uh, yes, thank you. Oh, no. Oh, it's bad news, Ernie. We've got to move out right away. Hill 56 has got to be taken by midnight. Oh, those poor guys. Two hours rest in four days. <laughs> poor guys, those brave guys, the infantry, the God-forsaken infantry, the mud, rain, frost, and wind boys of the infantry, dear God, how many miles I'm away from them in time and space since to me, and yet that's, that's what I remember best, the faces of the infantry. Long, thin line of them, four days and nights they'd fought. And now, you know, they were moving forward again. Their clothes torn from crawling over rocks, cut and scratched and bleeding, but moving forward. On their shoulders and backs, they carried machine gun barrels and leaden boxes of ammunition. Their feet, their feet seemed to sink in the ground, but they were moving forward. One long, tired line of guys from, from Main Street to Broadway. No tonic of victory in, no excitement, no despair. Just moving on to do the job. I remember. I think we can move on now, Mr. Pyle. All right. 
You know, Mr. Pyle, there's still one thing I don't quite get. What's that? Well, all the time you were telling about your experiences in North Africa, I was thinking of all the places you've been and all the chances you've taken. Why, I try not to take any foolish chances. There's just no way to play it completely safe and still do your job. Yeah, I guess that's right. But in a way, you're right, you know. I, I just about used up the law of average. <laughs> it's not that I have a premonition that death's going to catch up with me. It's just the feeling that every infantryman in the line finally gets. You begin to think that you've used up your good luck. I feel that way, and I hate it. I don't want to get killed. I want to go home, lie in the grass in the backyard, tell all the neighborhood kids about my narrow escapes. Yes, sir. What is it, Lieutenant? In that brush up ahead, something moved. He said there were no jabs. Come on, we better get out. That ditch. Hi. Mr. Pyle. Mr. Pyle. You've just heard Mr. Burgess Meredith in Mr. Pyle. A new play by Arch Obler. Included in the cast with Mr. Meredith were Frank Martin, Sidney Miller, David Bradford, Bruce Elliott, Everett Allen, Bob Holton, Herbert Rawlinson, Bill Shaw, and your announcer Marvin Best. The orchestra was conducted by David Raxon. Sound, Jack Snell with Bill James. Engineer, Misha Peltz. Tonight's play was presented through the cooperation of Lester Cowan Productions, producers of Ernie Pyle's story of G.I. Joe. And now, Burgess Meredith has something to say to you. Some of the G.I. Joes whom Ernie Pyle loved and wrote about are coming home. Those are words filled with responsibility for all of us. So I'd like to read you Eve Merriman's poem about the returning soldier. Peace is coming home at last. After the screamingly silent months, how shall we greet him? What leaping words will span the arch of war? He was such a boy when he left, and so much has happened since he went away. It seems as though we hardly knew him at all. Who in that corner whispering, perhaps we never did? Hooray! This train is slowing down. Quick, quick, the wreath, the roses, the mayor, the pretty girls, the band beaming, self-conscious Sunday clothes, and everybody sing. Oh, my God. His head is bloody. And his feet, his foot. Dear God, how can we bear to look at him? Peace, the penny hero. She common, millions like him. Stumping along in his ragged uniform, khaki, crude color of earth. Do not dare to turn away. 
And do not take him into pity him. Give him work to do. Great warring work that peace can do. For things that shall be common as bread and salt. I pray you, go with peace. And give him work to do. Next week, the play will be The Naked Mountain, a new melodrama with Mr. Francho Tone and Mr. June Dupre in the leading roles. This will be the 11th in a special series of plays written, produced, and directed for the mutual broadcasting system by Arch Obler. Listen to Freedom of Opportunity tomorrow night at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Wartime over most of these stations for a dramatization of the complete life story of Ernie Pyle. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. <laughs>